0: This is Religion and Theology, a podcast from the Center for Theology and Religious Studies.
1: This episode is the last part of the Heidegger and Theology series ongoing on the podcast.
0: And the episode consists of the finalizing panel discussion in which all the previous speakers uh,
1: partake Along with the moderator that opens up the discussion, Jöran Rosenberg. Even though there were a back and forth between the panelists and the audience at the end of the roundtable or panel discussion, the last word, as it were,
0: is given to Professor Hans Ruin simply because of the poor quality of sound coming from the audience questions. I've been listening carefully. I've been preparing as much as I could before. And I will try to make us talk about, again, the topic of this conference, Heidegger and theology after the black notebooks. And really, I have tried to extract from the interventions what actually have the black notebooks meant. What have they changed in our perception of Heidegger? And here I speak, and perhaps I can then share this position with others who have been at the seminar. I share a certain ignorance of what the whole work and the whole matter of Heidegger, to say the least. But I recognize certain figures that have come back that are linked to the appearance of his black notebooks and they seem to add to the perception of Heidegger the notion or the impression or the fact that in the black notebooks he takes harsh issue not only with religions and theology in abstract but with Christianity as such acerbically, someone said, and indirectly or perhaps more fundamentally with the Jewish roots of that Christianity. So, in these books, that's all well known. He introduces terms that were not there before in, in the works that were published, like the uh, ominous and malevolent role of something called Weltjudentum. This is written in the 30s, so it's natural that it has uh, shaken uh, a lot of uh, the, 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 the research, shaken the image of, of Heidegger among people, even among Heidegger scholars, perhaps for and foremost among Heidegger scholars. And I notice with Peter Travney, who is really to be counted among them, a certain, even when I read you, a, a sense of, of shock uh, and, and bitterness towards this Heidegger who comes out now in in term and uses terminology that really has to be termed or associated with anti Semitism and language taken more or less out of the protocols of the the Elders of Zion. Well that's one thing. So so what does that mean that Heidegger has come out in this way and linked it to his linked it into his philosophy if we might say. So what have changed by this? And uh, one more thing that I would like, that I have really been impressed by, is the change apparently in the black notebooks of hiding from uh, being a philosopher of well, this is here my ignorance will show, but of some being, of some living in 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 in, in the being without. Really affiliating or associated it with any political action, but not with any movement of some kind. It seems like it's a philosophy of how to relate to the fact that we are in this world and, and how we. Anyway, in the Black Notebooks, this philosophy is clearly linked to action. It's linked to a particular event in, in contemporary history, National Socialism. And then seems to bring, bring about a change in, in his view, of, in his philosophy as a whole. Whether there is philosophy remaining, which Peter Traugny somehow at the point doubted. So I will start asking, and I will start with Peter Traugny, uh, if you would summarize, and then I would like all of you to comment, and we'll go from there. If you would summarize uh, all of it, what, after the black books, black notebooks... Uh, has changed in our in our view of Heidegger, in he- and, and in Heidegger, Heidegger's uh, role in present day, both I would say uh, theology and philosophy. Could you would you <laughs> like to set off, Peter? Or was that too much? What a,
1: what a, what a, what a easy question. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <well enough. laughs> um. Well, well, the the easiest way to to respond to it is to say, I don't know. Well, well, there are are a few ways, of course, you can think about, maybe to start with with this. You can, for instance, say uh, what many people will do now, that there is a Heidegger of the 20s um, where we don't have these problems. Uh, where where the what I, I use this term in in my book where where the text is not contaminated by anti-Semitism where he still asks for universal dimension of science uh, after being in time it is uh, three years he he is dealing with this uh, with his with his uh, perspective and uh, and then uh, 30 30 uh, 33 happens something what is what is then uh, what, what brings forth a totally dif- different Heideggerian philosophy, and we have to, we can only reject this. So we can say being in time will remain, of course, because it's one of the you know. And well, then uh, 50 years nothing, <laughs> and maybe the latest things about technology will also uh, remain because uh, well, this this I guess that many. Scholars will will go this path. Uh, the others, the others um, will. Uh, the other thing is that 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 people will um, will think about these the the possibility whether also the, the, the early texts are in a certain way um, um, integrated into an anti-Judaistic, anti-Semitic discourse. And I guess it's in. In a certain way, it's 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 possible to 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 do this, and they will of course re- reject Heidegger as 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 such. Uh, you see that what the work of Emmanuel Fire will go this way. That he will say that's, that, that let's let's see Heidegger as only a national 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 socialist philosopher, and that is of course the end of of him as a philosopher. Well, the third way could be could only be this that you. Now that you have to be very careful or more even more careful in reading heidegger that you, that you, that the hermeneutics must be more uh, critical than before, and that um, well that we have to be aware of of the of the of the problem uh, we, we we weren't aware before the, the 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 publication of the black notebooks, and I guess this is for me it's it would be the only way to to go on, and to be aware of, the, of the, 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 the huge the huge problems, not only con- concerning anti-Semitism, but of course concerning this, this topic of mythology, this t- topic of the end of philosophy that he, that he for instance, he says that, that what he does is not philosophy. It's, that, that's something what, what now must be in my, in, in my eyes must be taken more seriously. So I, I can I can just say say that that I will that I, that I can go on with with with, with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but what in general now will happen
0: with Heidegger? I don't. Of course, I don't know. But can the old Heidegger be read the same way? I mean, can you can you do can you can you have the first solution? It's okay. We have time and being, and we have this and no, that. I, I, no, in, in my in my eyes, it's impossible. Of
1: course. Uh, of course, it, it, uh, it's uh, there must be a hermeneutics of, of sub- suspicion in every in every respect in every in every in every writing. And for instance, take 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 being in time. Take something like like uh, Das Mann. Okay. If he if he speaks uh, in the in the twenties, he speaks of uh, die Verjüdung der deutschen Universität oder der deutschen Kultur. Huh? Verjüdung. We don't know how to, to translate that. Um, in a certain way, there will be cr- critics who will say, "Well, does the, the, the man is 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 actually an anti-Semitic uh, uh, um, thought? It's an anti-Semitic category." Well, which would be an anti-Semitic category? Does man in in uh, the, the we or whatever uh-huh. the they or whatever the uh, so there will be readings like this, uh, and, I, and I, I understand that. What I call it a hermeneutics of suspicion because it's not written there, so we will always have to, 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 to discuss it because people will say it's not written there so, and so on, but nevertheless we will have this problem. We will have this problem that, that certain uh, topics of Heideggerian philosophy will always be now in, in, in the, uh, under the suspicion uh, of being uh, anti judaistic or anti-Semitic, I guess that's 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 the that's one of the consequences of, of the
0: Black Nobles. Just, just to leave the microphone to George and, and then to Judith. I will, I will ask you, and I will just add a little twist since you are uh, come from the point of your of theology. Theology has parts of theology have been inspired by Heidegger, no doubt. Is, will that how will the black notebooks change the relationship as you as you see between uh, or the the, the, the the reception of heidegger into present day theology or even the revision of past receptions and i think broadly i
2: mean i can only repeat you know what peter has been saying that clearly all of heidegger will now be read with more suspicious eyes But actually not much more suspicious eyes because after all Heidegger was not you know it was a public knowledge that he became a member of the Nazi party in 1933 in a very public way Uh, he was not allowed to teach after 1945 so people have known ever since then that for some of his career at least Heidegger was a member of this genocidal party Um, so you know it's not total news In a sense, that he shared some views with some other Nazis. But the the anti Christians. Um, But I mean, that also was was known because, you know, he, although in the early 1920s he speaks of himself in a letter to Carl Levitt as a theologian, but it's also by the time of being in time, you know, Judith has mapped this progression very well. He's systematically regarding himself as atheistic. Um, Again, you know, the lecture on. A phenomenology and theology has been long published, as, as as have other other works. The comments uh, about theology that I quoted in uh, you know, how how theology will read have uh, been published now for a, for, a, for a long time. So, you know, many aspects of his negative views of Christianity have have long been known uh, as as well. I think you know, in, interestingly for me, it's what perhaps the black books do bring out is um, the sort of And when uh, Heinrich Ott's book on Heidegger and Political Life was published, uh, one of the points he makes is that during his time as rector, Heidegger was particularly um, hostile in his speeches about Roman Catholicism, and a lot of people sort of said, well, why? And I mean, Ott himself sort of seemed to think this was rather coming out of the blue, but in a sense that the black books, I think, fill that picture out a little bit as to why Catholic theology in particular... um, or how Catholic theology in particular became um, you know, this object to, that, that he saw as challenging. But I, I, mean, I think there are other ele- elements, as it were, non surprise. I mean, my very strong hunch, you know, having taught in Oxford and Cambridge for a total of 20 years, is that if you actually had the private notebooks or the high table dinner conversations yeah. recorded of academics in Oxford and Cambridge in the 1930s, you would have heard anti-Semitic comments pretty similar to those of Heidegger um, being traded. I mean, anti-Semitism is an extraordinary commonplace of European life up to 1945. Um, One could say even someone like Karl Barth, who's credited with reopening Christian-Jewish conversation during the 1940s, can write that in the Jew we see human sinfulness manifest. You know, the Jew is the summation of human sinfulness, but, you know, we shouldn't turn our eyes away because that's our sinfulness too. But nevertheless, he was aware of his sinfulness. But but the Jew is singled out. You know, he doesn't say the Swiss or the German or the Russian, but (laughs) the Jew is singled out as the manifestation and the embodiment of human sinfulness in in an exceptional um, way. And this is is quite, you know, I'm not trying to normalize Anti Semitism, and I'm not wanting to exculpate Heidegger, but I, I am saying that it was not normative in any sense, but it was far more commonplace than maybe we, we would like to think, uh, even
0: in the democratic. Yeah, but countries I don't think that that's, that's an issue owns, here, not, I, 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 yeah. at least not for me. I, no. That's clear. He wasn't, that was known, and, and the atmosphere of the time, we know that. But the question is, of course, again, here some and that was taken up by several. He yeah. comes out in a much more acerbic way and animosity not against Christianity and the whole legacy, which is of course the Jewish legacy. Well, well only partly. I mean, yeah. let's see what he, what he says about
2: the English, mm. for for example. I mean, in one of the last things he said, you know, the calculating spirit is is Jewish. That the Jews are to blame for modern democracy, for Bolshevism, and all that. Actually. He says it was the English Revolution, though he, again, does no sort of ontic historiographical work, so we don't know whether he means Cromwell or 1688 or the Industrial Revolution, but he says it was the English Revolution that provided the pattern for Bolshevism. You know, English mercantilism, the English profit motive, this is this kind of source of calculability in, in, in the modern world, you know, so sometimes...
0: He'll grab at the Jews. So we shouldn't take him too seriously, simply. I mean, uh, he says uh, I mean, a lot of such things stuff. about everybody.
3: Well, yeah, he, he very much homogenizes. Yeah, go ahead, I mean, he criticizes, you know, the the prevailing worldview for homogenizing nature and the world. in school. what English, too, of course. Well, of course. <laughs> so,
0: so you go on, Judith, and, and sort of take your time. i no, t- do you want no? to say, no.
3: uh, but, but he, he homogenizes all these very different movements into simply the same old thing the same old you know calculating technological metaphysics so that's uh that's something we should always remember i agree um i think i mean i agree with george i don't think that the anti-semitic statements are at the center of what should make us suspicious about heidegger more than we have been before um as George said there, anti-Semitism is such a commonplace place uh, in Western culture, um, and I speak as m- myself Jewish, I, I, it's not, you know. Um, I think there there is, however, probably a difference that the notebooks should make for our theological reception of Heidegger, um, and that has to do partly with the sort of hermeneutics of suspicion, I suppose, that Peter was mentioning. Um there has been a tendency, I think, in theology to see Heidegger as somehow oracular, something that can move us beyond the impasses or the sort of staleness of Christianity. Um, and if you see Heidegger in this oracular way, then y- you hold on to his statements almost as as prophetic or as pointing beyond where we are now. That's a route that's no longer open to us, I think, in quite the same way, because we can't trust him um, Uh, as as, as much as we'd like to but uh, concretely I think there are two things that they change one um, the way that the early Heidegger has been received in theology has often gone along the lines of um, that we should adopt and Bultmann does this very much that we should adopt his uh, his separation of a Christian sense of constitutive anxiety and um, uncertainty and so forth from any hope of something outward coming in um, and that's exemplified in being in time of course and and christians have tr- or theologians have tried to adopt that but of course it now seems as if he himself no longer believed that that was a possibility mm-hmm. even seven years later and that has to give us pause um i mean we might um uh, we might respond to that by saying well you know he was right before and then he he went wrong but the fact that he himself can't doesn't hold on to that is significant i think um and the second one is that the way that the later heidegger's work has often been uh taken over into theology uh, is the anti metaphysical impulse obviously um similar in some ways to the reception of the early work we have to reject uh, God as somehow a securing framework, something that gives us a, a grasp of the world, um, in favor of something post-metaphysical, uh, uh, sort of a culture or a disposition of <coughs> receptivity and quietness and so forth, which of course is there in the mystical tradition of Christianity itself. Um, but it seems so much in the black notebooks, for the first time, we see the beginnings of Heidegger's post-metaphysical thinking. Uh, And those beginnings seem to be very much, as I said before, uh, caught up in the sort of romantic nationalism of the 19th century. Um, It doesn't quite seem as post-metaphysical anymore. And so I think we we do need to rethink what we can learn from Heidegger in in that regard. Um, I think, you know, as much as always, Heidegger can point us back to anti-metaphysical theological material that we've always had, and he, he, he works as well as ever as somebody who calls us to thinking, who calls us to questioning and so forth, but the answers that he himself offers might no longer be so reliable.
0: Is, is he undermining himself in a way by I think, moving I think into so. this phase in the, where he really... Uh, introduces into his system this uh, this expectation of something imminent to happen in, in, in the the the, the rightness or, or...
3: Well, I think he's 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 undermining some of what we uh, thought he was doing um, I, I obviously to him this is immensely important uh, and he sees it as as the center of what he and and every philosopher should be striving for so of course you know one of the tasks that the Black Notebook set us is to to grapple with what exactly it was that he thought was so important. And, uh, you know, we should have enough trust in Heidegger to think that it's probably worth grappling with. And I don't know, you know, I don't know yet what will come out of that.
0: But but, but what's your own thinking? This is your field. I mean, where would you start after, after this now, if you want to rescue or to... Somehow reread it in a, in a way that it is still
3: well. I mean, the work that I've been doing since um, has been to go back to nineteenth-century philosophical engagements with eschatology because I think that's immensely important, and I'm trying to get a, a much better systematic grip on how Christian eschatological ideas were reworked in general or non-Christian nineteenth-century philosophy because I want to. Understand more clearly what it is that Heidegger just takes over from before and where it is that he introduces new ideas. Because I think, I mean, as you've been saying several times, the last God is very clearly, at least in structure and, and eschatological idea. We need to get a firmer grip of what is new and what is not new. Um, so that's <laughs> what I'm doing now, and we'll see what, what that brings. Um.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I cannot speak for theology but I take your question um, as a question what's happening with Heidegger in philosophy and, uh, picking up on Peter also I I remember when first uh, hearing of this material in the Schwarze Hefte from my very close colleague and friend Marcia Saka-Valkante Schubach who is also a close friend of Peter and she was getting these um, Uh, materials directly from you Peter and uh, at an early stage when you were working on it you were sitting with this material and you didn't even know what to do with it at first so I know that you were two with her in contact she was one of the people that you were discussing with Uh, so it was clear to you when you found these even though the material is minuscule compared to the amount of of, uh, uh, text uh, in these diaries it was very clear for you from, from the start that this would change things this is what she communicated also so we had long discussions about it and it was almost like the sense was there is a storm coming uh, when this material is out Uh, and um, the reason for this is uh, of course the the question of of, uh, uh, anti-semitism from within this context is the sort of the specific and most um, painful part of this whole history that we are trying to come to terms with still after 70 years and even though of course it was known, well, as you say, all the facts about Heidegger's rector and his party membership was known this was the one thing that um, uh, the people who were reading Heidegger and, and learned from him were saying, well he was not an anti-Semite, of course there were certain rumors, the Ussert family, the Kassieri family But there was no published material, apart from some letters that Jaspers had found, but they were also, they could be interpreted differently. So uh, I think the situation was, until Peter found this material and was editing it, uh, there was no clear case to say that Heidegger was openly antisemitic. He was one of the people who could compromise with this regime from the viewpoint of his own political and philosophical ambitions. But, uh, but he could also stand up after the war, before the commission and when he wrote his report to say that at least I tried to uh, um, diminish the damage that was already being done to the Jewish colleagues at the early phase of the transformation of the university and um, uh, so I think uh, one, one should not uh, uh, it's important to see it in this context that, that uh, those of us who were uh, um, who had been sort of defending almost the right to read hiding, which was the situation in Sweden, not least, and maybe also in Germany and other places, were saying that this is the, there was sort of a red line. And I think this explains partly why this uh, has had such a massive impact um, at a quite uh, rapid pace. I mean, the, um, some, some certain very symbolic events that have taken place in the aftermath of this. Günter Figal, who resigned as the president for the Gesellschaft. Um, Peter can tell long stories about the, sort of the internal collapse of the Heidegger culture in Germany with very bitter feuds. In France, the whole Heidegger community is falling apart in former friends and now bitter rivals. I mean, it's, it's created a lot of stir, yeah. And... Um, François de is no longer speaking to Jean Nancy, and so it's it, uh, it's um, it's uh, some very symbolic. Well,
1: well, well, it's 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 really I uh, want to 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 um, to to um, support this. Um, Excuse me, but I give it back to you. <laughs> Just to <laughs> say that. Feel free. But we, it's, it's, you, it's, it's, you really have to understand that. Uh, for instance, the Bundesrepublik Germany. You know that uh, I will. I would take a very actual uh, uh, topic uh, of our discussions: uh, the the, um, the the relation of the Bundesregierung to the refugees. Huh? We wir schaffen das, Angela Merkel. That's that's an effect of of the Shoah. That's still the actuality of the Shoah, the Shoah as a, as a founding event of the of new Bundesrepublik. And, and we, 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 we never had, like, like what, what you said, what Hans said, we, we never had a, a, a clear uh, statement uh, of Heidegger about the Shoah. Uh, and that was, of course, good for Heidegger. It was, uh, that, that give, gave us a little uh, safety to deal with him and for instance, to you see that all the many of the of the scholars or of the philosophers dealing with uh, Thalia Levinas, Derrida, Lyotard, they are they, they are all Jews. Huh? So so and, and now we have a, a statement where he says Auschwitz is the self annihilation of the Jew. So and you cannot say that doesn't change something. <laughs> that changed really in literally everything actually. So it, I, w- I will support that. That, that, that's, that was a huge, absolutely huge impact because because uh, the, the, this event of the Shoah is is is, is not comparable with uh, to say there was always anti-Judaism. You now that that's something different. The Shoah uh, is 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 is, is in, in in the reception. Really, something what is what is a what is a. a uh, interruption of, of history in a certain way. It's the beginning of, of, of what what we would call today is German, and and it's a an identi- it's an event of identification of identity. So so in this respect, I would really say um, it, it is something uh, absolutely new. We 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 never I, I never expected this. Never I would I never expected the, such such. Uh, 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 crazy and weird ideas about uh, world judaism uh, in this uh, uh, philosophical
0: um, 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 mm-hmm. op- on this philosophical background mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's even some... it's even in a, in a way worse because he doesn't of course advocate the holocaust he, he doesn't know but he writes in a vein i mean you quote um, i have your book here uh, from things that that really are are see, Puts the what he calls the Weltjuden tomb not only as something as a, as an object or for his anti-Semitic passions, but as an agent in his whatever, whatever eschatology that he now has, which is the national's. It was sort of linked to to the appearance of of what he thought was national socialism. I, I really have to to read this because it's I read it in German, but it's. Die Frage nach der Rolle des Weltjudentums ist keine rassische, sondern die metaphysische Frage nach der Art von Menschentümlichkeit, die schlechthin ungebunden, die Entwurzelung aller Seienden aus dem Sein als weltgeschichtliche Aufgabe übernehmen kann. And if I briefly translate it, the the Jews the, the world Jewry is it's by its uprootedness is an agent for uprooting. Uh, Am I more or less translating this properly, uh, everything, you know, so that's, and then the question is, and maybe you can continue, whether he metaphysically, nevertheless, wanted to do away with the Jews, not physically, but metaphysically, clearly. clearly thought that was a good
4: idea uh, even though this is an important distinction yeah it is
0: because, because, but this happens at the same time
3: when Jews yes, are actually
4: artistically... yeah, this is why why this is so shocking and I think we all react as uh, sensible people in the same way with, with sheer shock and almost horror at this statement even though and this sort of brings me to my two next uh, points uh, uh, the fact that now uh, the question of uh, uh, Judaism is uh, suddenly on, and, uh, and the, the Hebraic inheritance is now suddenly explicitly on the screen of Heidegger's philosophy, not just as a marginal thing what he did or would not do with the Husserl family or whether or not he, etc., etc., all of those small details. But what the Schwarze Hefte has done is to, and this is what um, Peter. Um, takes up in his book uh, uh, is that it's inscribed into his thinking which forces us, if we are to take him seriously, to understand what this means. And this I take to be part of the uh, what we've been trying to do here today. And I must say I found this uh, conference and this meeting extremely uh, interesting and worthwhile and it's forced me to start thinking in terms and with the help of concepts that I did not feel earlier that I uh, needed to work with in order to understand Heidegger, but uh, I mean through your work also, and, and I, I think this is uh, so. It's uh, from the sort of theological philosophical viewpoint. If we see this as a common field, suddenly Heidegger's work becomes even more important to think through, precisely because he has introduced these categories into his own thinking. And, uh, and some of the interpretations that we have tried to deliver here, I think, are maybe beginning to make sense of this. And, uh, and maybe in a little bit, somewhat different vein than, than Peter's book, um, which you try another line of argument um, in yours. But this is so it's clear that part of the, on the discussion on Heidegger in coming years will take this route. And it proves that the the theological learning uh, is now suddenly uh, not only useful, but maybe necessary in order to understand where Heidegger is heading. Because now it's more clear than ever to what extent he's working out his thinking within the context of a theological and religious framework. And this is, I see, as the only way beginning to make sense of the statements and this is um, what you were saying basically also through your historical reconstruction. So I think from that point it seems like uh, ironically maybe that he becomes an even more important point of work from the theological viewpoint. Now I spoke too long, I have another point in relation to your question, but I'll save it.
0: So, so George and Judith, mainly then, must there be, and should there be, and how should it look like, a theological response? Yes, I'm sorry, well, can, can I stay yeah, with what's been said? Because stay I with to,
2: If not reject, at least to kind of offer some go ahead. resistance, go ahead, because Madeline, go ahead. it seems to me that coming to the black books as a sort of naive reader, if you, if you like, but were a naive reader to come to these as a document, they would indeed discover someone who made anti-Semitic comments, who was anti-Semitic as an adjective. I don't think they would discover an anti-Semite, that is someone whose world view is, as it were, shaped by anti-Semitism. I mean, It seems to me that the comments uh, about world Jewry are foolish, not thought through, Lazy what if they are thought through? This is the but point. I see no evidence in the they black no books sense. for them being thought through. I mean, they're just totally banal, commonplace comments. And I think in terms of, as it were, weightage of, of words, uh, one would find equally culpable, as I say, England and the English Revolution. I, I think so. One would find Americanism... Uh, as well. Now, of course, there is a certain kind of anti-Semitism that would, uh, I mean, a real anti-Semite would, of course, say, well, America, you know, world well, Jewry is pulling the strings of America as well, because it is the country of the uprooted, and all uprooted people are, uh, are Jews, as it were. Though Clearly, many of them, particularly in the early 20th century, were actually Germans and Swedes as well, of course. Um, So, I mean, it seems to me that this is not an organising centre of of, of the work. It's lamentable, it's despicable, but but it's intellectually lazy. It's not what's driving it.
0: That makes it very very easy for you. It makes it too easy, I think. Why why don't you take it seriously and then try to argue with it? I'm I'm not saying I'm not taking it seriously.
2: I'm I'm just saying that it's not intellectually interesting. Uh Ah, okay.
3: No, June. I mean, I agree with George and I think we can concretize this by looking at Christian anti-Semitism uh, in juxtaposition with Heidegger's uh, for a long period in Christian history much Christian thought was anti-Semitic and in a much more um, central and essential way than Heidegger's anti-Semitism because for the Christians the Jews were those who killed Christ and that made them cursed and deserving of anything that they could you know, have coming to them Whereas exactly as George says, Heidegger's anti-Semitism, Jews are just another, another exemplification of the metaphysical homogenization and so forth that he sees everywhere else as well. I mean, the comment that you um, quoted from the Black Notebooks is an interesting one because he says, you know, the Jewish problem is not a problem of race, but the problem of a way of life. And of course, it's not just the Jews who have this way of life; it's so many others as well.
0: Why do why does he call them the Jews? And you can invent another name.
3: No, no, he he does he does obviously think that the the way
0: of life you can give a name.
3: Well, he gave it this name. Sure, look. But he I'm also open.
2: gave it the name Bolshevism. Now, well, well, well we don't want to argue. Okay, yeah. okay, well, go, well, why go not? I mean, want to have an argument? Yeah, yeah, yeah. not no, to. me, no, no, no. As you, I'm no, no. Sorry, no, no I don't know if we, if we it have. It strikes me very hard. No, no.
1: That's 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 not too easy. Of course, you know that <laughs> if you if you if you have an okay. argument at first. At first I think it, it, it's interesting. We could discuss whether there are interesting kinds of anti-Semitism or not interesting kinds of anti-Semitism I think it's or where there is. a clever and smart anti-Semitism and only a banal anti-Semitism. Rosenberg, was he a clever anti-Semite? Or Hitler, he was very clever and Heidegger is not or something. Well, I don't know.
2: So, uh, Sorry, so. I think you're mishearing what I said about interesting. Um, I, I just said limiting myself to the context of Heidegger's black books, that what he says about, World well, Jewry isn't intellectually interesting. I'm not saying, implying that there are interesting forms of anti-Semitism, I'm just saying in the context of Heidegger's work, he has interesting things to say about the thrownness of Dasein in being and time, he has incredibly important and interesting philosophical uh, things to say about many subjects, what he says about world Jewry is intellectually uninteresting.
3: And I mean, could one well, add to that? Well, would, it, would it be a useful. Take the microphone there, loves,
0: and then give it back to Peter. Sure. Would, it, <laughs> sw-
3: okay. uh, would it be useful to draw a distinction between uh, a kind of antisemitism where there's something particular and unique about the Jews that makes one look down on them, and an antisemitism where the Jews just uh, exemplify something that we see in lots of other places as well? Because that, I think, is a useful distinction. Um, and there's. Yeah.
0: Anyway, well, I don't know why. Bring well, well, no, well, no, well no. I, I, at
1: first, I guess would, we really we have to. Uh, it, it would be uh, we have to do that. We have to do this work to contextualize, of course, Heidegger's um, um, statements about the Jews into the into the field of discussion from this time. And you see that uh, that, for instance, if he speaks of Bolshevism, Americanism, liberalism, uh, like to say that that it, it, there is a discourse where all these are figures of world Jewry, so world Jewry is really, really a, a, a key word for this kind of world conspiracy. So uh, Bolshevism is actually controlled by world Jewry. Americanism is something nothing else than, 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 than the fi- what what um, what Hitler calls the finanzjudentum So that's actually world Jewry. So uh, I, I I I I would say. Uh, just, I don't understand this difference. To say that there could be something, uh, there is something interesting in Heidegger, and there is something banal, and we have to to expulse the banal, we, or we cannot, de- shouldn't deal with it, or we shouldn't take it for ser- seriously because because it's 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 banal. That that seems to be a little bit a petitio principi That's it's like you you decide what is banal and. Obviously, this is banal, and now that's not a problem. I, I, I for me, it's uh, that's is not is not is not is not a possible uh, a hermeneutics actually. And and yeah, <laughs> the last thing is. Um. um what am I saying? Yeah.
0: Um, no, let's say here. Hans also wanted to come
2: in. Okay, George, you're very brief, very brief. Um, a Jewish colleague of mine in Oxford who teaches Heidegger in Oxford begins his lectures on Heidegger. as Heidegger was born, Heidegger died. That's all you need to know about Heidegger the man. Now let's open being and time. No, we're, talking about his, we're talking about his
0: writing, George, not about the man. This is the writing we are talking about. Go on, Hans.
4: Um, so, so, two points. I mean, I, I think uh, P- Peter and, and George's uh, differences here is interesting as an illustration of a general, more general hermeneutic problem, which is uh, maybe in the end ultimately undecidable. Because what you're saying, George, when, when it says that this is uh, interesting, is precisely that it's marginal. That is, we don't have to deal with it. And, Peter, what you have done in your book, and in my view, in an exaggerated way, but you've done it, is to try out what would it mean to reread uh, Heidegger's most basic philosophical uh, uh, idea from the viewpoint of these new findings. And this is what you try to do, so suddenly the history of being is reinterpreted through this particular uh, uh, perspective. It's an hermeneutic experiment. Uh, Time, time will show whether it uh, holds or not, but, but uh, who, can, who, can, uh, who can finally make that choice? I mean this is what happens, we have to try to read it, we can refuse to read it. I can just mention one uh, um, example of this from my own work that also brings up the question of whether or not there is a pure Heidegger in the 20s and then uh, somehow a perverted Heidegger in the 30s, if it starts in 29, 31 or 33 um, I've been teaching sign on sign all my academic life and I wrote my dissertation largely on this book and spe- uh, specifically on this uh, fascinating chapter on historicity, so why was historicity so interesting, I think what Heidegger has to say about historicity is a way of, of a, Um, performing a phenomenological, ontological exploration of what it means to be historical, to exist in a space of tradition. And uh, he continues Nietzsche's way of thinking about this from the second Untimely Meditation and he produces a phenomenology of historical existence, which in my view still is an incredibly profound reflection on this problem. For Gadamer's hermeneutics, they are more or less based on this chapter, to think ourselves as existing in the space of tradition uh, as something which uh, is more original than history in the chronological sense, and to understand ourselves from this viewpoint. So this is, I think, a a theory which still has a profound validity for memory studies, for studies of tradition, at the same time. uh, It's precisely in this chapter uh, that he says and suggests Uh, that uh, there could be something like an authentic historicity. There could be a way of existing authentically uh, as historical. Mm -hmm. And he exemplifies this as the possibility of... uh, affirming one's generation in the moment and of existing in, a, in, a, in an affirmed collective existence with one's generation and one's folk. So he basically says that, that uh, there is a way in which we can occupy this space, in which we are essentially thrown, behind which we cannot come, uh, and uh, which is the only way that we can open a future, but that we can do so authentically. And this is the point where his uh, own version of a kind of Gemeinschaftsphilosophie is opened up. And it's not incidental that he says to Karl Leavitt when, he, when Leavitt asks him in Rome, so what is the philosophical basis of your commitment to National Socialism? Well, it's, hist- it's my analysis of historicity, precisely. Because historicity has to do with affirming a sense of authentically existing within and with one's community. And this is precisely the tragic fate or we should not maybe poetize this too much it's the sad fate of, uh, uh, of the German political history at this uh, juncture that nationalism this radical nationalism comes up as the political solution to the desperate problems in which they found themselves uh, and with German nationalism the sort of the The 50 years that sort of preceded this moment in 1930 is also the moment when anti-Semitism really becomes a powerful political force, and this is because anti-Semitism and nationalism, you cannot separate them in Germany. It's almost produced at the moment when Germany is unified, something has to go out, right? So you unify a country which is Catholic, Protestant, with a lot of differences. So who is the odd person? It's the Jew. and this is what, once we come into the early 30s, this is ac- exactly what happens. Somebody does not belong in order for this community to experience itself. And sadly, Heidegger, sort of maybe the greatest philosopher in his generation, I think he was the greatest philosopher in his generation, opts for nationalism as his own philosophical task. And at that point he activates his own philosophy, and the anti-Semitism comes with it. Mm. So even though he's not an active anti-Semite in his political and educational dealings, and he's somewhere sort of mellowing, the drastic things are the things you find in the diary, it is connected, and to me this means that I cannot teach this material in the same way after having thought through this, because suddenly this problem of an authentic historicity is also the internal problem, not just of Heidegger's nationalism, but of all nationalisms, and the question of community and its exteriority. This does not mean that this theory is not profoundly interesting, but in its own extreme consequences it brings with it precisely this problem. Just as one example.
0: May I introduce, I don't know, Tom, it's another, I mean, that's so interesting would you say that that at this point in time, his idea of authenticity, of living in a community and, and, and all this, or what comes with it, is, is crystallized out in this. Mm. What, if we were thinking, what in this kind of thinking could crystallize out today? We are in the same... Human predicament. We are, we are, you know, lost in space, or so nothing has happened, and we see a world that is also a bit shaky in its foundation. I can see, and I can that there might be a link between Heidegger's uh, longing for a new beginning. You know, it's an archetypical uh, human thought uh, into coming into new, radical, revolutionary, not necessarily nationalist, but other ways of thinking, that it could come back in a new form. Uh, and, and, and if so, I mean, a critical reading of Heidegger would be, be would be very important. Uh, I, 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 I trace links between uh, I just, and this is also rudimentary, but this is the idea in a certain left radical philosophical circle of the event, of something sort of almost oh. Out of history that will sort of change, uh, you know. Alain Badiou, French philosopher, has written a book. Also, almost paraphrasing Heidegger, uh, time, uh, being an event, and, and the event is, is uh, I, yeah. I was, I was saying, and you, you he has also uh, served uh, Paul, of course, for this for this purpose. The same way you you discussed him this morning, Alice. Yeah, can, can
4: I pick up the
0: question and push it in a
4: slightly different direction, because I, I want to avoid you. but the question of what can happen today in relation to Heidegger's philosophy, for, uh, let me say what I think is an important task for people working on Heidegger. Uh, there never was uh, a strong uh, right-wing Heideggerianism in the post-war period, They were very, very marginal figures. Heidegger was mostly picked up in left-liberal circles in the English-speaking world. In Germany, a little bit different, uh, ambiguous. But today, there is a right-wing Heideggerianism. In Russia, there is Dugin, uh, who has uh, personal relations to uh, von Hermann. Uh, and uh, so there is, a, there is a sense in Europe in which sort of right-wing Europe is now grasping for this reservoir of mid-war thinking. Uh, and this is something that requires, uh, I think, the, the more precise and scholarly, and I would say radical readers of Heidegger's, to emphasize what is precisely what the productive part of this inheritance, which involves today discussing precisely the critical aspects that we have today. But then I would go back to what George was saying also. Heidegger's most profound thought is not his anti-Semitism. It's not his vulgar nationalism that he at times glides into in some of his most extreme Hölderlin readings. Heidegger's most profound thought is the thought of a thinking in original exile. It is thrownness. It is the awareness that as we find ourselves in the world, we find ourselves thrown, that is, not being able to return to any kind of pristine origin, but having to think from within this finite thrownness. And this is, I think, also one of the reasons why these very, very smart young Jewish scholars found him so attractive and so much more vivid than many of the more boring neo-Kantian scholars, he had a sense of what it means to think from within this intellectual experience of exile, and this is what we need, apart from all the other work that we have to
0: do to really emphasize today Anyone else wanted to comment on this, the, the potential for good and bad of, of uh, recurrent Heideggerian uh, thinking, the, the, let's say the, good, the basic Heidegger then
2: well, well, no, I was just going to say, I mean, that, you know, if one thinks about the thrownness of our time, I mean, it's always very risky, isn't it, to imagine. I can't remember now who, who it was who said, you know, there was a time when we might have looked to Heidegger as an oracle to tell us what, what to think. Um, but someone said that earlier in the discussion. But I, I think actually that's always difficult and in a sense part of heidegger's uh, value as a philosopher is that he tells us that that's just what we shouldn't be doing <laughs> that we should be i mean as many philosophers through history have told us to do should be thinking for ourselves on the ground of our thrownness uh, in our singularity of our situation and you know when one goes back and tries to um find historical oracles i mean one just ends up with the debates of the schools that clearly you know i have colleagues who regard kant as the evil power behind modern nihilism and the holocaust um you know who take eichmann's plea that he is acting on kantian principles at face value and say therefore kant is to blame for the holocaust others of course would see kant precisely as the prophet of Uh, A libertarian, rational cosmopolitanism, uh, and and the opposite uh, of anything of that. And one can go back to the great thinkers of the tradition. Most of them are susceptible of very varied and conflicting uh, interpretations, but I think one of the things we can learn from Heidegger as a a philosopher is precisely that we, in a sense, one can only think and and of course he is always rethinking the tradition, but doing so precisely in, in a dialogue with his situation much as he hates that that word of course but uh, as it were out of the need of the present
3: but he sees Hauderlin as oracular
2: he does but of course uh, he also says that Hauderlin is not a prophet Uh, not a a philosopher Hauderlin is a a poet Uh, and that is something else again and though the philosopher thinks in proximity to the poet uh, the philosopher himself never becomes a poet uh, and the poet is not to be read as a philosopher
0: I leave it to Peter to sort of. Then I will open up if you so wish. Uh, you are in the midst of this. Uh, you will remain there for, for the foreseeable future. So, what's your, your? What do you see the future of Heidegger in, in contemporary life? In contemporary, life? yeah, no uh, less. Nothing actually.
1: Um, no, uh, just to, uh, to. Um continue what, what Hans said um, in, in our situation I, I think what, 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 what we are aware by, in, in a certain way by these anti-Semitic uh, ideas is that, that there is something in Heidegger's philosophy who uh, in a certain way um, predetermined this kind of thinking for these anti-Semitic how, how, how could you say that? Uh, that he is able to take this on or off into his philosophy, this openness for antisemitism. What is what is this? And I, I would I would really say that. And this is something what is what is what is uh, very important today. I, I said it before maybe it's quite simple, but it's this anti-universal character of this thinking. You know, and this is really something what betrays. Uh, well, and, and therefore, I think thrownness is, in a certain way, indeed uh, in, uh, also a very complicated and problematic concept. This anti-Platonic, anti-universal character of Heidegger's thinking is something what 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 in our situation is, well, makes him attractive for people like Dugin, who speak for Eurasia, or, or, or from from for, for right-wing people who who uh, who who tried to to now in the in the discussion about the refugees to to, to uh, s- strengthen up the, the, the national state again cultural identity for these kind of uh, of discourses Heidegger now is 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 is, is uh, uh, rediscovered and i guess that, it, that this is really the pro- problem in Heidegger that that we that that he is really an, um, in my in my in my view a, a radical anti universalist so so far that you really can say that that well that actually the Germans are uh, are, the, are the are the people of the being as such. Yeah? The Germans are the people of the event. The, and these kind of these 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 myths in the center of Heidegger's thinking are, in my view, very very problematic and uh, for 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 a continuation of this kind of philosophy. So that's. Uh, so in this, in this respect, I would say it's, um, it it has there's a lot to do to make him to make him attractive again for a creative and productive uh,
0: uh, uh, project of, of 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 philosophy today the idea of authenticity as Hans mentioned is very crucial to him it's, it It seems that that in the in the present chaos or the present lack of Authenticity uh, perceived, uh, uh, and that is, uh, which is fanning all kinds of, of movements that are promising nationalists, as you say. Uh, you don't see um, uh, that they, some, Heideggerian thinking. We have seen one example that it, you, you think it uh, that it can be reworked and revived and reentered into into political action in a way. Well, only in a, only in
1: a, of course, in, a, in an anti-democratic sense. Uh, not, not. Uh, well, of course, this philosophy is anti-democratic. That's that's not a wonder. It's not a miracle to say that. But, uh, but, uh, well, no. I, I really would say that. T- take for instance uh, Derrida, somebody who really tries to 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 um, be very creative with with Heidegger. But. But nevertheless, in Derrida, is something deeply ethical. What, what we cannot find in, in Heidegger—that's that, that's the, the concept of justice. There is justice is for Heidegger a concept what he what he only rejects, what he denies. For him, uh, justice is uh, Americanism, you know. And 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 we have this in in, in Derrida, and therefore you you can see that the, the Derridarian. Uh, a continuation of heidegger is something what is what is it like Levinas continuation is 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 indeed deeply uh deeply uh, rooted in in, a, in an ethical idea but but this is this this is not in heidegger it's 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 it, you cannot you cannot you can't you cannot see something what is what 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 is uh, ethical
0: in this is in this sense in heidegger so it's interesting i i sense that the theologians among you are much more reluctant to to give up on Heidegger than the philosophers here, or not give up but, but sort of uh, make some conclusions but
3: Maybe maybe it's because we had lower expectations to begin with <laughs> <laughs> but I, Is that so? Certainly true um, Certainly I, I mean I, I agree I think the, the ethical is not a very strong component of Heidegger's thought I don't Know whether he has much to say to uh, the political conversation. Um, picking up on what you asked before about authenticity, uh, I think the sort of the the cultural conversation certainly his early thought still contributes to. I mean, even just the straightforward critique that's in, in implied in his in his early work of the very superficial ideas of authenticity that rule our culture as a sort of, you know, there's this core of myself which I just have to discover and then be true to. It's, it's something that he thoroughly deconstructs uh, in being in time. That's as relevant as ever. Um, but of course, the I mean, there is a serious question about whether, whether the thought of somebody who, who who, in a sense, constitutively can't contribute to the political conversation uh, is by
2: that very fact compromised. Uh, I mean, I'd like to hear from George. Uh, I mean, I think Judith's first comment was right, but going back to Derrida as well, I think you know, I mean, that, that, that's clearly right, and yet how Derrida thinks the ethical requirement, or Levinas for that matter, is not as in terms of Enlightenment universals, and I mean, most of my colleagues who are moral philosophers in the Anglo-Saxon context, I mean, would, would abhor Derrida's approach to ethics because they would say that it precisely makes ethics impossible Mm -hmm. because it is focused on what is singular, Mm -hmm. um, what cannot be repeated, what is perpetually different, uh, and indeed at a point where I think Derrida's focus on singularity and eschatology is indeed part of his learning from Heidegger that uh, of course, I entirely agree that there is an ethical impulse, a demand of justice, but that is, as it were, an existential, in a sort of non-Heideggerian um, sense, perhaps a more Kierkegaardian sense, of, of responding to, to what is actual, um, ra- rather than, as it were, as a, fo- as a formal uh, principle. But yes. but yes, I mean, I think theology maybe, um, of course, has other sources uh, than Heidegger. To, to draw on and, uh, and other orientations and I mean I think perhaps to, to think that thinkers um, can as it were provide norms for complex political communities in the face of complex needs is an unrealistic expectation to start with yeah. but that might of course be part of the problem of a certain intellectual tradition that, that it sets itself up in this way, the thinker as 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 sage. Hans, uh, you wanted to? Yeah, just.
4: Um, you want you wanted to open up? No, before? no. I said uh, we, we have time. I to mean, it's okay. We, we can talk about this for
0: hours. But oh, yeah. I'm, I'm interested. So so actually, I think everybody <laughs> yeah. is. Well,
4: no. Since since you um, you summarised this saying that the philosophers were more reluctant than the theologians, <laughs> but but I would just like to say I. Uh, um, I cannot see how this uh, new affirmation of universalism, as you suggest, Peter, could be uh, such uh, an easy solution um, as uh, it seems. I mean, this was, of course, this was to some extent uh, Habermas's uh, uh, general critique against all of what he summarized under this... uh, uh, neostructural or post-structural thinking at an early stage and I think this is uh, if, if you um, if you move as quickly as that uh, and let uh, the profound disappointment that I think we all share as readers of Heidegger's in relation to his anti-Semitism then I think we lose something which is on the contrary very important to uh, continue to develop because uh, there are many cries today for universalism and they are certainly not always honest political alternatives. Uh, today universalism perversely is becoming the cry of the far right. Uh, this is what's happening in France. These, the French revolutionary values... They would not of, agree. <laughs> the, no, they are, they, are kid, they are now kidnapping these universal enlightenment values and it's clearly targeted against minorities. So we have a, a situation in which we have to think very carefully and uh, I would say that not only in Heidegger but also in Husserl uh, who would, it would be harder to accuse for being an irrationalist uh, the, uh, what he considered to be his own most important contribution in terms of the history of rationality was precisely its inability to think itself in its own origination, because universalism and rationality must be thought on the basis of singularity. Even Husserl says this. Uh, even mathematics, even logic, has to somehow include an historical reflection on its own genealogy. And why is this important? Well, it's important because if it doesn't do so, then you, this universalism and rationalism will itself become a blind and uh, amnesic kind of, of a matrix, uh, which is another version of nihilism. So this kind of reflection, this inner reflection on the universalism of rationality, is I think part of a legacy of phenomenology that we should not simply disparage because of our shock in the face of Heidegger's anti-Semitism.